Let's read from Proverbs chapter 5. It says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to a path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give her best strength to others and your, your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and body are spent, you will say, How I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I have come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. Drink water from your own cistern, run, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A living doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in, are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnare him. The cords of his sin hold fast. He will, he, he will die or lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. Amen. Let's pray together as we come to look at Proverbs 5. Our Father in heaven, help us please to pay attention to your wisdom and to listen well to your words. Uh, show us please uh, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who brings uh, forgiveness and freedom in his gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you cannot help over the last couple of weeks to have seen uh, many people throw their voice into the media debate on sexuality. Uh, there's been a plethora of voices. Uh, off the back of the Miley Cyrus stuff, which you may have seen, uh, Previous uh, older artists like Sinead O'Connor and Charlotte Church have come seeking to persuade and to educate, writing letters to Miley Cyrus saying, listen, you are more talented than that to expose yourself in such a sexual way. I heard this morning uh, another article in the news, a uh, head teacher in a primary school uh, just really aggrieved by young children being exposed to over-sexualize things on the internet at a younger and younger age. And so she has devised a new curriculum to educate these young children about how to think rightly about sex in its right place. As some of you may have seen Stephen Fry's two-part documentary over the last couple of weeks. It's called Stephen Fry Out There. In that, he seeks to take a global view about homosexuality, so he visits places like Brazil and India 
and Uganda, where he hopes to expose homophobia and to eradicate it through education. I would encourage you to watch that on iPlayer. It is an interesting insight into a popular view on homosexuality. But Proverbs 5 throws a biblical voice into this arena of sexual ethics. And with all the education of our headmistress and all the persuasiveness of Stephen Fry, the father pleads with his son. And he does so with the backing of the whole of Scripture and saying when it comes to sexual ethics, the Bible is unashamed in saying it is the uh, sex is reserved for one man and one woman in the exclusivity and the intimacy and the faithfulness of marriage. Now, Stephen Fry, in that documentary out there, uh, pinpoints evangelical Christianity as one of the people groups who are fostering a fear and ignorance in regards to homosexuality. Uh, We, uh, may, are fostering homophobia in British culture. We are the ones who are creating this fear and ignorance. It seems that for Stephen Fry, there are many voices who can say what is right and what is wrong in terms of sexuality, apart from the Christian voice. Uh, We bring fear and ignorance. What Proverbs would say is that a Christian is not speaking from a fear of homosexuality, but from a fear of the Lord. That we're not speaking from an ignorance, but actually the wisdom of understanding ourselves rightly in relationship to our Creator, and therefore rightly using sex as He designed it, created it, gifted it to His creation. Now, for the Christian, as the father speaks to the son in Proverbs 5, actually it is not as simple as just choosing what is right in place of what is wrong. It is not just a neutral choice between wisdom sexually and foolishness sexually. Because he knows that for the man who walks down Princess Street, or for the woman who reads that novel, or for the person who is perusing the internet, or for that person who is watching late night television, that is not just a neutral thing, but that is a war field. Why? Because the Bible is very clear that we have an enemy, that Satan is a tempter. And because he hates God, he hates his people. And because he detests Jesus, he detests Christians. And what is his one goal? To murder and to kill those who love God. For some, the bait that he hangs in front of them is pride. For others, it might be materialism. But for many, and especially young men, the power of his temptation is seen in sex. That is to say, the devil knows that one of his most powerful weapons is beauty. 
One of the guises that he can wear that is most effective in bringing down Christian men and women is the guise of beauty. And so look at Proverbs 5, verse 3. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. It is an attractive bait for many. It promises much. And you see there, it speaks of her lips. It speaks of her speech. Sexual temptation is never just for your eyes. It is never just for your genitals, but it is aiming at your heart. Every temptation is a dialogue where Satan is deceivedly speaking to your very soul. I wonder what it is in temptation that is so beautiful in regards to sex, that is so alluring. The lie can be different for different people. For some, porn offers a safe alternative to intimacy. I can be in control. I don't have to be vulnerable. For others, it can be a relief from stress. It can be an escapism. The promise is that this will medicate any negative feelings. Others, it can be a reward, maybe after a busy week, a business deal, uh, maybe even time in ministry. Something alluring in the sexual realm can be like, I deserve this. For some people, maybe the beauty of the bait is more like revenge. Maybe against a spouse that doesn't satisfy. Maybe against God because he's not given you a spouse. Maybe against a parent who has abused you. Uh, We indulge in sexual immorality because we feel that it brings a sense of revenge. For others, maybe it's just a redemption. Uh, In porn, I'm okay as I am. People accept me for who I am. I come to God and he says, you're sinful, whereas these people accept me. I wonder what the bait that your heart desires is if you find this particular temptation particularly alluring. It never is just the eyes or the ears. It always aims at the heart. So what does the Father do? What does the voice of wisdom say? What tactic does he employ to guard his son from what is a fatal enemy? Well, one tactic he employs is this tactic of exposure. The first thing he does is exposing the words of the adulteress. Have a look at verse 4. What does he say? All right, verse 3, they are honey, they are smooth, But, verse 4, what does he do? He takes the son to the end. Verse 4, but in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. What is the power of the temptress's temptation? The power is in the disclosure of the destination. In, In the hiding of the end. Foolishness is when you only live for the moment. Any temptation will be unduly exaggerated when it is just viewed 
as this is it. I'm living for now. So what does the voice of wisdom do? It says, listen, my son. Her words are like honey, but in the end. So what does he say? Well, they are delicious, but actually the end is disgusting. They're smooth, but in the end they are murderous. Sure, this honey is sweet, but this bee has a sting. And it leads only to death. The wages of sexual sin are death. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't only take them to the eternal end. Look at verse 11. Again, he says, not just in the end, but at the end of your life, you will groan. When your flesh and your body are spent, you will say, how I hated discipline, how I, my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or listen to my instructors. I've come to the brink of utter ruin in the midst of the whole assembly. The father's tactic is to fast forward his son to the end of his life. To show that at the end, there will be no opportunity to rewind. Let me show you the end of a life of someone who's indulged time and time again in sexual immorality. There's this low growl of grief. Four times in those verses, he condemns himself. Why did I not listen to my father? And, and notice, here's a man who has indulged himself without a stopping but he's not satisfied. Verse 11, he is spent. He is not rejoicing, but in verse 14, he is ruined. He's exposed. In the end, he groans. It's a very public exposure in the midst of the whole assembly. Uh, Jimmy Savile died before his uh, sexual promiscuity was revealed. But his reputation has been sullied. For others like Rolf Harris, he has not been so fortunate. He lives knowing that groan. And God says, for those who revel in this, there shall be that in the end. There will be this despair, this growl. In some ways, what he's saying is, listen, don't take your sexual ethics from those young people, those delusional ones who are living the dream. Don't take it from the Miley Cyrus and the music videos who look like it's amazing, but look to those burnt out old timers who have woken up from the dream to realize that it's actually a nightmare. There is a groan that comes from the life that indulges this temptation. Uh, Maybe your own experience echoes that. Certainly chatted to uh, plenty of young men who know that reality. I've got a friend, he indulged in porn from a very young age. Uh, That then didn't satisfy. He progressed to hiring escorts and a series of one-night stands. And I sat with that mate in a pub uh, last year and he acknowledged, you know, I'm completely lonely. 
because what I experienced in porn was not affected in real relationships. My expectations were so perverted by it that I could never find a relationship that satisfies. So he found himself hurt, isolated, groaning. Another friend that I played football with in London, a guy used to give me a lift to and from the games, one day confessed to me, not a Christian, said, Andy, I, I need your help. I've, I've been, you know, I've met this woman at work. We were alone in the office one night. We started flirting. That progressed, and uh, we kind of had a little fondle. We then kissed, and this week we slept together. He says, I can't tell my wife. This would ruin my kids. And weeks progressed, and he just got more and more cut up inside what had promised so much. Honey, smooth as oil, ended up in bitterness. Uh, he, although his wife didn't find out, he grew uh, separated from her, although he lived under the same roof. And eventually the woman at work abandoned him as well. She didn't want a relationship in which she thought, well, this guy cheated on her. Why will he not cheat on me? In the end, they groan. In the end. But the father says, not only is there this condemnation eternally and groaning temporally, but actually there's another exposure that he impresses upon his son. Look down to verse 21. Not only the adulterous words exposed, but our ways Exposed, Verse 21, For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. What is a lie that a person who indulges in sexual sin telling themselves? God won't say. That I can meddle here in the dark without God seeing. Sure, I can deceive myself, I can despise, uh, deceive my spouse, I can deceive others, but I cannot fool God. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. And not only seeing, but scrutinizing as a judge. Practical atheism in the life of a Christian is often the root of rebellion. But the truth is that God says, it's in full view of all your ways. And so the father speaks as a, in this kind of robust man-to-man way with his son. saying, listen to this wisdom. This wisdom saves from the adulteress. In that moment of temptation, walking down the street, surfing the internet, that conversation at work, that friendship which is in danger of going over the edge. Listen, look beyond the honey and see the sting of the bee. Look beyond the, uh, the sweetness and see the bitterness. Her root goes down to death. And so he makes two really practical applications. Now in some ways tonight, Uh, This is particularly applying to those of us who are married. Uh, But fear not if you are single. Uh, He returns to this in chapter 6 and 7. 
And uh, so we're going to look in those when we come to that chapter in a three weeks' time, I think. Uh, so maybe more things for the single people in our congregation. But tonight, uh, here are two particular things for those of us who are married. He's going to make two applications. He says, listen, my son, keep a distance from the adulteress and keep an intimacy with your wife. Let's look at these one by one. Distance from the adulteress, verses 7 to 14. Look down at verse 8. What is the son to do knowing that her way leads down to death? Well, keep to a path far from her. Don't go near the door of her house. There's repetition in what we heard here last week. Keep wickedness out. Don't see how far you can stick your head into the mouth of a lion. That's a stupid game. You'll lose. Run from the lion. Uh, If there is the possibility that this thing might pierce the hull of your ship, don't go near the rock. Because even the smallest inlet into the ship's bow will eventually cause that ship to sink. So what do you do? You keep far. You run. You flee. Seemingly unheroic, isn't it? But it's really wise. Uh, If you look in verse... uh, Where's the lest? Look in verse 9. Here's the lest. It introduces the negative consequences. Keep a path. Don't go near. Lest. Look at the words he uses. Give your best strength to others. Your years to one who's cruel. Your uh, lest strangers feast on your wealth. And your toil and reach another man's house. Here's another lie that we tell ourselves when we're indulging in sexual temptation. It doesn't hurt anyone. So long as my husband doesn't find out. So long as my wife doesn't know. Now why is that a lie? Well, according to Proverbs, in adultery you're not only giving your strength, your years, your wealth, your toil to one whom it should not be given, but you are stealing your wealth, your years, your... uh, strength and your toil from the one that you promised it to. Adultery always hurts someone. It always robs from your spouse. And so what does the wise father say? He says, keep far from her. Keep a distance, disciplined distance. I wonder what that's going to look like for you this week. Where is it that you are walking too close to her? Where is it that there needs to be more distance to him? We need to keep ourselves not only from sinning, but from the occasions that would make us sin. So where do you need to create that disciplined Distance Again, for many of us, it will look like many different things. If you're regularly sitting in front of a computer screen, uh, why not try something like Covenant Eyes or x3church.com, a filter on your internet use that will provide accountability on the, one of the platforms that can cause us to sin most often. 
And maybe for some of us, it will look like putting our internet in a public place in our house. Not in a room behind a locked door, but in a private room. For others of us, creating distance will mean that we go to bed at the same time as other people in the house. For some of us, it will be not watching late night TV, maybe avoiding the music channels. Maybe for some, it's downgrading your iPhone to a phone that can just make phone calls because that's the place that we repeatedly fall into sin. Maybe it's making sure that friendship with someone of the opposite sex is always friendship with them and you and your spouse. Uh, Maybe for others, if your spouse, your husband of your wife, is routinely out on a particular night of the week, you have an activity, a strategy, to avoid falling into sin on that evening. There must be a disciplined distance in your life. At the end of the chapter, verse 23, he will die for lack of discipline. Younger guys, get that ingrained now. A distanced discipline. A discipline of distance. Don't wait until your sex drive has worn out. Do it now. You'll die for lack of discipline. What's that going to look like? Where does there need to be more distance? But secondly, it is not only distance from the adulteress, it is intimacy with your wife. The the tone of the passage changes at verse 15. Uh, Read it with me. Uh, Strong euphemisms are hiding behind these words. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Verse 17, let them be yours alone. Verse 18, may your fountain be blessed. May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. May her breast satisfy you. May you be captivated with your love. The Bible is not ashamed of sexual pleasure. It is not repressive. It is not rigid. It is not joy-destroying. This chapter is not about procreation. It is just about pleasure. God says that in the intimacy and the exclusivity of a man and a woman in marriage, sex is a gracious gift of God to be delighted in. Uh, It's an amazing thing to be enjoyed by a husband and a wife. But you see the tactic that he's using here. He says that the enjoyment of making love with your your spouse can provide concrete protection against sexual temptation. A happy and a faithful, fulfilled marriage relationship is an antidote against sin. Now, that is not the main reason for sex, but it is a grace of God that as a man and woman engage regularly, faithfully in sex... It guards against sexual temptation. Paul will say that in 1 Corinthians 7. Listen, for a time you can put sex on hold to pray, but not for too long, lest you fall into temptation. Let me ask you, uh, those of you who are married, are you guarding your marriage by having sex often? That is a good and a godly thing. The language is wonderful, isn't it? Rejoicing, blessing, satisfying, captivating. 
At the breast of another woman will be bitter, but the breast of your wife will be blessed and beautiful. Rejoice. Be satisfied. Be captivated by your spouse. That is a good thing, and it is a guard against the evil one. So how are you getting on? It is a good application of this sermon to go home and enjoy making love to your wife or to enjoy making love to your husband. Guard the intimacy of your marriage. Whatever interrupts it, whether it be an argument, whether it be bitterness, deal with it now so that it doesn't become an inlet to temptation from the evil one. Uh, It's a little bit like Uh, It's a very clever tactic of the father. He's not just saying, don't do this. Because we know that if someone says, don't do that, what do we do? We do it. Don't press that big red button. If I said, don't look up there, what do you want to do? This happened on holiday in Egypt. What happens when someone brings you a plate of food on a hot plate? They say what? Don't touch it. It's hot. What do you always do? So what does the father do? He does, it's not like he's just saying, don't eat the Jaffa cake. But he's saying, don't eat the Jaffa cake because there's a better cake over here. What is going to guard you from wanting the Jaffa cake? The, what's a nicer cake than a Jaffa cake? The chocolate fudge cake. So eat this so you don't want that. Do you see his tactic? Don't just abstain, but eat that. Guard your marriage by intimacy with your spouse. Now, it's worth us dealing with a couple of objections. Objection number one may be, well, uh, my wife, my husband doesn't satisfy me. One day they did, uh, but now they don't. And we are going to watch a video uh, after the sermon that's going to address some of those things. But let me give you a couple, couple of bullet points. Uh, Biblical love is as much a choice as it is a feeling. Sometimes it is first a choice before it is a feeling. In Proverbs 5, it is a command. Be satisfied in the wife of your youth. Sometimes the decision to love will become before the feeling. But also remember that biblical love is always gracious giving not selfish taking. If you go into a sexual experience only looking to get, you'll never be satisfied because that is not why God gave sex. It is to reflect the self-giving. And so we, we give. It's partly where the satisfaction comes from. Another point may be that we need to readdress and redefine the standard of beauty. When it comes to your husband, the standard of beauty, the standard of handsomeness, is not what the billboard says, is not what the rom-com says, but the standard of handsomeness is your husband. He's your standard. Uh, For your wife, the standard of beauty is not the billboard or the magazine or the porno, but it is your wife. 
So we don't compare each other saying, if only that was flatter or those were bigger or she was younger. We say, no, I'm captivated by her. She is beauty. Objection number two might be, well, fine, be intimate with your spouse, but I don't have a spouse. Uh, maybe you're young. Um, Proverbs 5 would say, save your strength, save your years, save your toil, save your wealth for your future spouse. If God is uh, kind enough to gift you that. Certainly setting habits of porn or fantasy now is not good preparation for marriage then. It is true, I think that the statistics say, most uh, porn addicts are married. And so set the habits now. Set the discipline distance now that you will need in your marriage. But also, in Proverbs, it is not just intimacy with your physical spouse, but this battle is a battle between woman wisdom and woman folly. And so the the application to you, maybe widowed, uh, maybe long-term single, is to pursue intimacy with woman wisdom. Who does she prefigure in the Bible? She prefigures the incarnate Christ. And so seek intimacy, satisfaction, captivation in him to guard you from the attack of woman folly, of the tempter, Satan. So what is wisdom in regard to sexuality? Remember the end. Uh, Guard your heart by a disciplined distance and an intimacy with either woman wisdom or your spouse. Now, my guess is, in fact, better than that, I know that there will be many in this room who feel a guilt and a shame and an uncleanness from having fallen into sexual sin. For others, it will not have been that they were the ones who indulged in it. Maybe you were the victim of sexual sin. There is good news in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He brings complete cleansing. The cleansing of your conscience, the removal of your guilt, the washing of your sin. There's a couple of great episodes in the Gospels. There's one in John 8. We're not sure if it's in the the original manuscripts. But Jesus is brought by the Pharisees before an adulterous woman. And the Pharisees want permission to stone her to death, which was the the punishment of the time. Jesus comes with those famous words, He who is without sin casteth the first stone. Now that woman is standing in a circle of men who want to kill her. But one by one those men leave. Because they know that they are not without sin. And she is left standing one on one with Jesus. The one person who has a right to cast a stone. The one person who is perfectly sinless, perfectly pure, and who could bring the punishment that a sexual sinner deserves. And yet he does not give her what she deserves, but he gives her grace. He brings her forgiveness 
and tells her, go and sin no more. Whether you're a Christian or not, in this gospel of Jesus Christ, there is forgiveness and cleansing. And he says, with this freedom from sin, don't indulge again in what had enslaved you. Instead, listen to me. Be wise with a disciplined distance and an intimacy with Jesus himself. I want to take a few minutes to respond on your own. It's right that when we hear God's word, we don't forget what we've seen, walk away unchanged, but that we take time to respond. Maybe now you want to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 51. A psalm of repentance uh, for a sexual sinner. Maybe it's time to just to pray quietly on your own that God would be creating in you this disciplined distance. Uh, after a few minutes, a prayer will come up on the screen, a prayer of confession. We'll pray that together and then we'll sing. Let's take a few moments. We'll say this out loud. So together. Almighty God, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people, we acknowledge and lament our many sins and the wickedness we have committed time after time by thought, word, and deed against your divine majesty. We have provoked your righteous anger and your indignation against us. We earnestly repent and are deeply sorry for these our wrongdoings. The memory of them weighs us down. The burden of them is too great for us to bear. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive us all that is past, and grant that from this time forward, may we always serve you and please you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now let's sing two songs together.